Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the fields of psychology and mental health. With your host, Gabe Howard, and featuring Vincent M. Wales. Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a special guest with us today. Natasha Tracy is on the show. I have worked with Natasha in the past. She is a great blogger. She has been around for many, many years, long before even I got started, and she lives with bipolar disorder. Recently, she has published a book called Lost Marbles, Insights into My Life with Depression and Bipolar, and she graciously agreed to be on the show with us today. Hello, Natasha. Hi, Gabe. How you doing? I am very well. I am so glad that you're able to be here. Um, as I told you off the show, uh, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, even when I was originally diagnosed. You were one of the few people writing about dep- or bipolar disorder way long ago. So it's very cool to share space with you. Thanks for hanging out. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So we'll go ahead and throw it over to Vin, who uh, wanted to ask the first question. Hi, Natasha. Um as Gabe was saying, you are very well known amongst uh, mental health advocates out there, but I'm sure a lot of the people tuning into this podcast probably don't know you. So how about you tell us about you? Sure. Um, thanks, Ben. Um, so I have actually been writing about my life with bipolar disorder for about 13 years. Um, I actually got started because I got laid off from a major software company. Um, and a friend of mine said to me, you know, you should be a writer. And uh, I said, I have no idea how to be a writer. He said to me, it's really easy. All you have to do is print up a business card that says writer on the front of it. So (laughs) basically what I did was I took that writing experience I had gained from that 13-year period, which at the time was about uh, about a seven-year period, and I turned that into what has now become a professional career for me, which is writing about mental illness. And of course, I do primarily write about bipolar disorder, but I've written about many, many other mental illnesses for clients. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's basically what I do. I live in the Pacific Northwest, which is lovely. So when I started turning it into career, um, basically I started looking for gigs on um, different boards and then was discovered by a major mental health site, which was wonderful. And basically, I've been working at this ever since. And I'm really pleased to have launched this particular book this year. There's been a book in my desires bag for (laughs) basically as long as I've been a writer, but it hasn't come together for me until this year. So yeah, I'm really pleased about it. It's it's fascinating the amount of time that it takes to to get something like this off the ground. I mean, you you sort of touched on that a little bit. One of my favorite phrases is I had to work 10 years to become an overnight success. And uh, it it sounds like that certainly is something that you can relate to. Yeah, when people ask me, you know, if they want to be a writer, I say, no problem. Go and write for seven years and (laughs) then you can start getting paid for it. That's what I did. People don't understand that it took me that seven year period to learn my craft to a point where I was a, you know, a seasoned professional in spite of the fact that I hadn't been hired before. But that's what worked was spending those, that, those years actually writing. And that's really critical. Um, So yeah, I, 
I'm not an overnight success. That is absolutely for sure. Um, but I'm hoping the book will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, good luck with that. Um, as as a writer myself, I, I, I am very familiar with the expression that it takes about a million words before you find your voice as a writer. So I'm, I'm not sure how many words you wrote in those seven years, but I'll bet it approaches that. Yes, I absolutely would agree. Um, I actually wrote for those seven years basically every single day. Um, it wasn't like something I sort of, you know, just played with. And for me, I actually felt compelled to write. So I actually felt compelled to write about my bipolar disorder specifically. And that's what I wrote about basically every single day for seven years. Um, and for me, it was almost like graphomania. So it was almost like this absolute obsession with writing. I absolutely had to do it every day. And if it wasn't for that driving force, I'm sure I wouldn't be a writer today. Well, one of the things that we talk about all the time in, in the mental health world is, are people with mental illness more creative? So to tie it back into bipolar disorder, do you feel that bipolar disorder is made you a better writer, led to your creativity. Where do you land on that debate? So I think there's actually no question as to whether people with bipolar disorder are more creative. We absolutely are. Um, and I, I say we absolutely are because it's been shown in studies that we are. We tend to gravitate to more creative professions. And there are other ways of measuring creativity where people with mental illness, um, particularly bipolar disorder, do tend to be more creative. Now, as for me personally, I do believe that my bipolar disorder has given me more creativity, but it didn't make me a writer and it didn't make me a good writer. I made me a good writer <laughs> and fate perhaps made me a writer, um, but it's, it's not bipolar that makes you good. It is you honing your craft that makes you good but that doesn't necessarily mean that a little extra creativity isn't put in there because of the mental illness. That's that's probably one of my favorite answers to this question. You know, some some folks, you know, they're really like, yes, everything that I have accomplished is due to the illness with a 15% death rate. I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. Uh, and, you know, some folks go the other way and they're just, you know, really resentful and, and they, they live with a lot of hostility. And that's, we can really tie this back to your book. Your book is in some ways a self-help book, correct? Yeah, so what I like to tell people is Lost Marbles actually straddles the chasm between self-help and memoir. So basically what I've tried to do is take examples from my own life, the memoir portion, and then use that to demonstrate either how to or perhaps how not to deal with any given situation. And that's where the self-help part comes in. So basically for me, um, I try to offer real-world tips and action steps that people can actually take in their real life to improve their life. Let's hear an example. Do you mind sharing an example with us? No, um, I don't mind at all. So one of the things that I cover is, for example, tips on how to deal with hypomania. So for me, I've actually been dealing with hypomania quite a bit right now. That's something that's come up for me, and it is covered, you know, in quite a bit of detail in the book. So I use examples, for example, like for me, when I get hypomanic, I don't sleep. For me, I become hypersexual. 
for me, my thoughts race at a million miles an hour. So these are some of the symptoms that I personally experience of hypomania. And when I do, I know that I have to combat those symptoms in very specific ways. So for example, I need to focus on sleep. Sleep is the number one thing for me that affects my mood. And it's a really good indicator as to what my mood will be the next day. So if I don't sleep, likely my hypomania will get worse. So for me, it's really critical to do what it takes to get sleep in order to actually treat the hypomania. So one of the things I suggest that people do is make sleep an absolute priority. And so for me, I consider sleep with a sleep aid, so in my case a sleeping medication, to be superior to not sleeping without a sleep aid. Because some people don't want to take those medications and I get that, but for me sleep is so important that I'd much rather take a sleeping medication and get that sleep. So sleep to me is critical. But there are other things as well. Of course, you really want to calm yourself down in a hypomania. Hypomania wants to speed you up. In order to treat that, you have to calm yourself. So for some people, mindfulness meditation might be an option. For some people, yoga might be an option. So I try to go through these type of tips in the book so that people can actually look at examples from my life and then try to use those in their own life. Really good. Now, of course, Psych Central is, uh, we're, we're, we're known for having, you know, medical professionals, therapists, and then we're also known for having, you know, folks like you and I, who are just people that live with the illness and then talk about it. Now, uh, I know that in your book, you know, you talk about how you're not a medical professional, but of course your advice, I mean, from, from my perspective is, is spot on. How do you sort of answer the criticism of, hey, look, you're not a doctor? Sure. Um, you know, I'm considered, you know, after all the years that I've spent researching mental illness and bipolar disorder specifically, I'm considered a subject matter expert. That's not the same thing as a doctor. Um, I'm an expert in bipolar disorder. I know the research. I know what's behind it. I know what it's like to live with it there is very little about bipolar disorder that I don't know. And that's just the way it is. Now, if people don't want to listen to me because I'm not an MD, that's perfectly reasonable. You know, I would certainly judge someone who wasn't a doctor with a certain amount of skepticism. But what I say to people is, look, read my work, see what I do, listen to me speak. If it speaks to you, then it's something you might want to pay attention to you. If it doesn't, then maybe it's something you want to discard. So my expertise works for people because they associate with what I'm saying. And of course, some people don't, and that's okay too. I've often had a problem with people who refuse to listen to what others have to say simply because they are not uh, you know, a doctor or, or whatever. Um, I, I just think that people can have an awful lot of knowledge and wisdom about particular subjects that that you just foolish not to listen to I do agree with that um, I think that you know some of the best suggestions sometimes for dealing with symptoms are the ones we can give each other and also sometimes there are certain situations arise that are common among people with bipolar disorder that doctors don't talk about 
but other people with bipolar disorder absolutely will talk about. And that's one of the things that I try to do in my book. I talk about things that other people with bipolar disorder would be absolutely familiar with, but that doctors absolutely don't talk about, either because A, they don't know about them, because it's part of the real experience, or B, they just don't have time or inclination to talk about them. One of the things that I've always respected about you, Natasha, is is you go into what I call the the, the gritty areas of bipolar disorder. You know, everybody wants to cover mania. Uh, everybody wants to cover depression. But for example, you write about things like hypersexuality and that, you know, sex is a weird thing in our culture. Um, does the book cover, you know, some of those uh, less than, you know, those items that aren't talked about that often? Yeah, so absolutely. I think it's really critical that we talk about the things that are uncomfortable for us. And actually, when I do my writing, when I read it back to myself, if it makes me uncomfortable, then I know that I'm on the right track. That's just the honest truth of it. Um, So, for example, I write a lot about suicide and suicide attempts. And I talk about how when people attempt suicide, it isn't because they want to die. I I talk about, you know, two loved ones who may have lost someone to suicide and what they need to know and what loved ones need to know when someone actually attempts suicide because these are subjects that people don't want to talk about and yet I get questions about them all the time. And, you know, things that are self-destructive in nature. For example, you said hypersexuality. That can be extremely self-destructive. People lose marriages. People lose all kinds of things over a symptom that doctors rarely even ask about. So I absolutely talk about gritty things because those are the things that need to be talked about the most. Natasha, what would you say is the topic for you that was the most uncomfortable? Well, I myself have actually attempted suicide. And so talking about that particular experience and what drove me to that particular experience was extremely uncomfortable. So for me, what happened was I was actually denied psychiatric care. And um, it was a doctor, it was a psychiatrist who saw me. And what she said to me was, you've tried every treatment and they've all failed. What's the point in you having a doctor? And so... For me, I had no idea what to say to this woman at that point, and what she had said to me basically said, well, you can die now, because you've tried everything, and it's all failed. What's the point in you even trying anymore? Her point was I should be working on managing a chronic illness. I disagree with her. I disagreed with her then, and I disagree with her now. Um, It's absolutely critical that I have the best health care available because I have failed so many treatments, not no health care. But because I was so suicidal at the time, this was not something I could see. So this particular woman, basically to me, she almost killed me because those words that she said to me really drove me into a place where I felt like suicide absolutely was the only option for me. So writing about that and specifically what happened was extremely challenging. It's also really challenging to write about what it's like to be in the absolute depths of a depression 
Um, it's really hard to write about something that is such an extreme emotional state without actually taking yourself there. And so that's something that obviously as a person with bipolar disorder I want to avoid. I don't want to drive myself into a mood episode just so I can write about it. But that is something that can happen. These things are very challenging to write about, but they're so important because without realistic depictions of what people actually go through, no one can understand who we are because we're not telling them the unvarnished truth. Very Excellent. True. Perfectly said. Yes. Uh, we have two more questions for you. Uh, I'm going to take the first one. Vin's going to take the last one. We're almost out of time here. How do we find you, Natasha? Where can we get your book? Yes. Well, you can find me at natashatracy.com. And you can find um, an easy way to find my book is at marblesbooks.com. And, of course, I am listed on Amazon. You can get both the paperback and the ebook there. Excellent. And congratulations are in order. Weren't you at the top of the Amazon uh, charts for a bit? I believe you still are. Yes. So I was ranked a number one um, hot new release in the category of bipolar disorder. So, of course, yes, that was... Um, ego inflating for me <laughs> well it was well deserved awesome all right last question natasha if there was one thing that you wanted listeners to know about you what would it be that is a really tough one um i guess you know so People view me in one of two ways. They either view me as a great success story of bipolar disorder because of, you know, the things I've been able to do. And then some people view me as a great failure because treatments for me haven't been very effective. And even though I support the medical model of treating bipolar disorder very strongly, some people would argue that I'm a failure because I haven't achieved full remission um, with that model. So I guess what I would say is that I am a combination of those things. I am neither of them, but I am both. Um, I am just me. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not a huge, massive success, and I am not a massive failure. What I think is important in my story is tenacity. It is the keeping going no matter what happens to you. So even if some idiot doctor woman tells you that you are useless and that you will not get better, you need to keep going. You need to have a belief in you that you can do it. And that's what I think I want people to know about me. I am not special because I'm a writer. I am not special because I've done 150 skydives. I am just the way I am because of this tenacity that I have and this refusal to give up. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you, Natasha, for agreeing to be on the show. Vin, thank you for co-hosting as always. And we're going to go ahead and wrap up and we will see everybody next week on the Psych Central show. Thanks so much. PsychCentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is a professional speaker, award-winning writer, and mental health advocate. You can find more information on Gabe and his work 
at GabeHoward.com. Vincent M. Wales is an award-winning speculative fiction novelist and suicide prevention crisis counselor. You can find more information on Vincent at VincentMWales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.